Hello and welcome to The Hurt Take. It is Tuesday, February 28th. I am your host, Reese Dobigan, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty co-host, Mitch Bayless. Mitch, how are you? Doing good, man. How are you doing? I'm not doing, not doing too bad. Long day, long drive. I think you had a long day and a long drive, too. So we're primed and ready to go for this podcast. <laughs> Bringing the A-game, definitely. Yeah. Now, for those of you who are just tuning in, you're lucky. This is the very first time we're doing this. So welcome. This is The Hurt Take. It's uh, our podcast, our take on the world of mixed martial arts. We're a couple big fans. We've been big fans for years. And we're going to give you a big fan perspective on this. We're going to look at the MMA from a bit of a different perspective. Hopefully you find it really fun, really funny, really informative. Maybe you'll hear some names you don't know that we can help you learn a little about. Uh, some of the news in the world of mixed martial arts. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. I'm sure it'll evolve with time. Eventually it'll just turn into a song and dance act. I don't know. We'll see, we'll see, we'll see how, big, how big we sell out. We'll start doing like loud noises like on radio shows. <laughs> I, I can almost promise that's not coming. Um, I, I would hope. <laughs> oh, thank God. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm glad you agree with me. At least, at least one of us will be able to keep this thing on the straight and narrow. <laughs> so, Mitch, our first segment, we've decided we're going to do a little, a quick rapid fire thing to get people into the show. This is called headlines. We're going to pick a few headlines and just kind of talk about it. Some stuff that's just been in the news recently. Nothing really too big. But stuff that maybe, you know, MMA fans might want to pay attention to. So the first headline we got is that Dominic Cruz recently was on the Joe Rogan podcast. I know that you're a big fan of the Joe Rogan podcast. Absolutely. And he began speaking about the topic of Ronda Rousey and obviously her, her fall from grace, I guess you could call it. And what he would say to Ronda Rousey, what kind of advice he would give her. And what he said was, quote, there can't be any separation in who you are with the win and a loss because if there is, it's going to show. And you got to be who you are and not be solely connected to fighting as your whole being. Otherwise, you're over when it ends. He went on to say, quote, she's using the fighting as her identity. With that championship belt, she is Ronda Rousey, the Ronda Rousey. Without the championship belt, we don't know who she is. She won't come out. So who are you unless you're winning? We don't know. Do you know? And then I think that the best part, the most poignant part for me was he said, quote, you're counting on that belt to know who you are now. So, Mitch, what do you think about this? Well, that's a pretty good headline. What do you think? <laughs> well, I think anytime Dominic Cruz talks MMA, I'm willing to listen. It's probably one of the one of the smartest, one of the brightest doing it. He's also obviously um, still fighting at one of the highest levels there is. So he's doing pretty good all around. So I think when he says something, you can take some pretty good stock in it. Um, so when I looked at that, I thought I, there's, it's, it's pretty hard to argue. I think it's, it's something that we're starting to see more and more of. We thought we had this picture of Ronda Rousey. Um, we're starting to, you know, she's starting to come a little bit out of her shell. You're starting to see some memes and some, some Instagram posts and stuff like that. But just the way she's handled both of these losses, I think um, you've got to wonder what's going on in her mental space. And you've got to think he's probably right in the sense that, um, that was everything. She identified herself as the champion, this first woman's champion, and now without that, she doesn't have a clue who she is. Not sure she can bring herself to get off the couch some of these days from what you're hearing, and it seems to be kind of the, 
you know, that's kind of the theme that's going on. Couldn't even make it out support her boyfriend as he got pummeled by Derek Lewis. Yeah, well, and exactly. I don't know where how that fits in, too, right? I don't know who's giving who positive uh, advice in that household right now. So um, I definitely think he's got to be, you know, you got to think he's right in this sentiment. So it's it's definitely an interesting take for sure. Yeah, I got to think it, it's really fascinating to me because, you know, as an observer of sport, you and I both know and, and having worked in the industry, there is a very real connection, um, identity problem when it comes to athletes, guys who guys and girls who identify with their athleticism. That's who they are. That's who they've always been ever since they could pick up a ball or shoot a puck. People have told them that's that's what they are. That's their value. And then when they lose that, we see there's so many examples of this where they go off a cliff and they, they don't know what to do with their lives. They turn to all the things they kind of should, like, oh, I'm going to start coaching, or they make really bad investments. And So I thought this was a really poignant... Um, observation on Cruz's part, something that I think obviously speaks more to uh, him as an athlete and how this is clearly a guy who is not going to need to be fighting to be successful. And in in so doing, that kind of like is liberating. It feels like Cruz can go out there and he can he can fight without stress and without pressure. Whereas an athlete like Ronda Rousey who's so tied into her identity as a fighter they are never going to be able to get away from that pressure because that is who they are and they, they risk so much more. You know, there's that idea of like, oh, who's got a lot to lose in this situation? That's almost a matter of perspective, you know? Uh, the person who has a lot so, more to lose is the person who seems to think they have a lot to lose, really. Yeah, and I, you know, I honestly, I hear everything you're saying and I definitely agree. I think there's there's something... Let me ask you this. If if Dominic Cruz goes out and loses again in his next fight coming up here, gets devastated by TJ Dillashaw, Cody No Love again, whoever it ends up being, when he ends up coming back here, does that? That, to me, is a bit more, is a little closer to the mental state that Ronda's been in. And I think he's come out, and I, I listened to that entire podcast. He spent two hours talking to Joe Rogan. It was great. You heard a lot of great takes. He's obviously brilliant, but there was something... I had this weird feeling a couple of times during it where I thought, you know, he's he's in a situation where he's had injuries. So he's faced all these things and he talks very openly about it and very candidly. And I think that's great. But he never he didn't have that taken from him. He got hurt. He was able to come back. His belt was taken away from him. But I wonder, is there is there a difference, Reese, if you get knocked out in that kind of fashion twice in a row compared to having that situation where you have an injury, but it's, it's your own body. It's, it's, you know, he quoted God a couple of times in that thing. He says that's God that was taking that away from him or putting on, you know, giving him this pause for a little break that he needed to take. Is that the same as having another human being standing over you, waking up on the canvas going, Oh, I was in perfect condition. I was perfectly healthy. And that just happened to me twice. I, I wonder if the level of devastation is not, a bit different and I wonder if he can actually speak to that the way he thinks he can what do you think about that yeah that's a good point I I think I think that they're remarkably similar at the end of the day is when you're lying on a mat and you've just blown up your knee you're probably asking yourself all the same questions that that a Ronda Rousey would be asking themselves when they kind of regain consciousness and, and realize like wait what happened you know they probably ask themselves similar questions like what just happened why me 
you know, what am I going to do now? I feel like they're, while the, while the manner in which that thing is taken from them, I feel like they ultimately will go through a very similar process. Um, I, I just, I found myself thinking about that. If you're, you know, in that year off, right? Rhonda's gone into this cave right before she fought Nunez. We didn't hear from her for a year. Uh, you, the Cruz did the same sort of thing. He had his Fox gig. You saw him from time to time publicly. But for the most part, you didn't know what was happening with training. You didn't know what we're hearing actually on Rogan is that he didn't train at all before Dillashaw. These different things where, you know, his you didn't know a lot about his headspace. So I feel like now he's looking back on that experience and going, here's what I think. Here's this what I would give for advice. Here's what I would say and i just wonder if you had to spend a year going somebody knocked me out somebody took that from me in that manner whereas when it's your knee that goes okay i need to rehab it's a it's a personal mental thing that you need to get through do i trust my knee now do i not but is it the same as going even if i can get back to peak what is waiting for me now what might stiffen me out if you don't know what that was prior I just feel like it might be a little bit different. So I, I definitely take his advice. I just wonder, you know, if he was to go and get knocked out by Garber in a second time in a row and now spend another year, what does advice sound like at the end of that year? I wonder, and I, you know, maybe it's identical, maybe it's not, maybe we'll never know, but I just, it just felt a little different. The situation just felt slightly different to me. I'm not sure why. Fair enough. All right. Headline number two, Khabib Nurmagomedov's dad says that he's going to retire next year. I mean, this is a guy who's peak, top, lightweight in the world. His dad, speaking to RussianTabloidLife.ru, said, I don't want to upset any fans, but Khabib is 28 years old, and by 30, he has to finish his career. I've never voiced his opinion before, didn't talk about it to anyone, but I'm afraid he's got left one and a half years. I want him as a healthy thinking person. I want him to develop other fighters. In such a big sport, a career between 24 to 30 years old is enough. Mitch, what is your take on this? I, I mean, it's it's probably not all that surprising, I guess. I think it comes at a time where his son's going into one of the biggest fights of his life, so that comes as a bit of a shock to people. But I think this is a guy that's proven he doesn't fight for money. Um, this is a guy who's offering to pay his opponents $200,000 to take a fight and these types of things. So clearly he's not fighting to put bread on his table. Uh, I think when that's the case, it's a little easier for you to walk away and for you to um, have a thought where you might have a life outside of fighting and have a plan for that. So I think his dad is, um, you know, seems like a very strong willed guy and is probably, probably something that they've talked quite a bit about. And I think they've got plans that are much greater than a, than a UFC championship or, or what we think to be the biggest stage in the world. I think sometimes uh, people, and especially from you know, they grow up in a different part of the world. They've got different priorities. We don't necessarily know what it is, but um, I think you got to believe them really. Yeah, I think so too. This is one of those ones where you got to trust the source, right? And the, at the end of the day, this is his dad. And this isn't like, you know, <laughs> this isn't like, oh, my dad is sitting in the stands watching my, my fights. This is his, the guy who trains him and has been training him his whole friggin' life. So to me, if anyone knows better, not only the headspace of his son, but has also taught him a certain way of thinking, that's probably what uh, Habib is thinking right now. And the, and he's been competing for a long, long time. He's you know by fighting standards, he's not young, um, you know, not professionally, but he's been basically competing at a high level continuously uh in combat sports since 
he was a teenager. So I got to think that there's definitely some smoke to this fire. Uh, disappointing if he goes uh, within the next year and a half because I, I love to watch him fight. But God, I think you got to consider the source, and the source is pretty reliable. Okay. <laughs> Headline number three. We always come back to this, but hey, it's a good headline. Dana White was uh, come out on his opinion on the Mayweather versus McGregor. McGregor sorry, I'm going to say that again. Dana White came out on the Mayweather-McGregor matchup. Uh, he was caught by TMZ Sports on the street. And when they asked him about where the situation was between the two, he said it was nowhere. Quote, I don't know where we're at. We're nowhere. We're nowhere with it. Now, Dana White says a lot of stuff, and we've seen a lot of headlines recently, but what's your take on this coming from the man uh, man in charge? <laughs> I think you summed it up the best. Dana White says a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, I think uh, in the, it's 2017, and by now we're well aware that what Dana White says generally serves Dana White um, or the UFC in general. Um, and I think there's nothing wrong with that, really. He's a promoter. That is what it is. I think saying anything more than that at this point would give Floyd Mayweather leverage, and that's in, not in the business uh, that Dana White wants to be. They're looking to get this thing done. I'm sure there's some some <laughs> roadblocks in place. Where there's lots of talk about the numerous roadblocks in place, and I think it's one of those things where until they've got something very, very close, we're going to hear from both sides that it's not happening. And I think it was interesting to see Floyd come out right after that, talking about McGregor's power and all sorts of other things, uh, and to kind of throw some fuel right back on there. And it's just, as long as this is making news every day, everybody's winning. Yeah, if I got to pull any kind of truth out of this, the only truth that I can really extrapolate is that, by the way he spoke, the the, the, the kind of uh, words he used, it just makes it sound like either McGregor's people have broached the topic with him um, and just nothing actually happened. Or they haven't talked to him, hence nothing's actually happened. Uh, so I don't know which one it is, it's somewhere in between, probably, but I think uh, you kind of got to take them at, at face value, and right now it just seems like, yeah, there seems to be no progress on this, and uh, unless the UFC is involved, there's probably never going to be progress on this. Well, and let's not kid ourselves here. You're, you're in a week where you've Khabib and Tony you know, Ferguson are fighting in that division, in McGregor's division, it's obviously a huge fight. He's got to do something to keep some eyes thinking that, hey, this is a contender fight, and the winner of this is fighting McGregor. Um, he went on, you know, he went on to say as much in the same interview, and I think they honestly, it's one of those things where there's posturing going on on all sides. He's in, he's these cameras are getting in his face while he's getting to town to promote a fight. Like I said, with it, with ramifications in that division, and also. It's more just, hey, we need some pay-per-view buys this weekend. Let's, you know, let's calm the talks of this. But you notice as soon as there's a slow week or they don't have a fight coming up in the near future, boom, that's the thing on the front page news Monday and Tuesday of that week. So I think there's, uh, you've got three big powers trying to posture at all times here. Uh, McGregor, the UFC, and the Mayweather camp. So <laughs> I think you're going to see a lot of smoke and mirrors for a little while until this thing gets done, if it ever does get done. It's like the Cold War or something. Guys. seriously it's all thinly veiled this and that and you never know what's really happening Ugh, drives me nuts but hey it's, we won't know until something happens like you said So, alright that was headlines those are three headlines from this week that interested us pretty sweet I enjoyed that segment Mitch <laughs> 
It's always good. We love uh, love talking the headlines. There seems to be so many nowadays that it's fun to touch on a few and uh, go back and forth a little bit. Now we're moving into this next bit. You and I both come from a, a bit of a PR background. So we like to talk oftentimes about um, what I would call Q rating. You know, what where a person's uh, public relations status is. You know, as a great example, Ronda Rousey right now, Q rating is not very high. She's she's making all the wrong moves, you know, having lost all these fights and then not making any real uh, public addresses about it. So her Q rating's low. On the flip side, you could talk about somebody who we will talk about in a moment, like Cody Garbrandt, who seems to have a Q rating through the roof. After he beat Dominic Cruz, everyone loved him. He was funny. He dominated. He said all the right things. He gets the tough gig. That His Q rating's up. He looks good in public. So that's what this is going to be about. We're going to pick uh, a situation, uh, and then we're going to decide whose Q rating is up and whose Q rating is down, or one or the other, or both, or however we do it. We'll see how it goes. So, the Q rating this week. T.J. Dillashaw was recently interviewed on the MMA Hour with Ariel Helwani to address the comments that uh, one Cody Garbrandt made in which he said that he knocked T.J. Dillashaw out when he was 1-0 as a fighter, knocked him out in the gym at Team Alpha Male, and he has video to prove it. T.J. Dillashaw came out and said he thinks it's hilarious because if he's got footage, he needs to put it out there. So Mitch... In this situation, who do you think's who do you think's got the Q rating? What's up? What's down? <laughs> uh, I honestly think TJ Dillashaw's Q rating points down every single day he gets out of bed. To be honest, every time he opens his mouth, I just think less and less and less of the guy. Um, it's very difficult because in a lot of these situations, he's kind of had this running feud with Team Alpha Male for God knows how long now, and. I, he might be right in a lot of a lot of cases. I think years from now we might find out that half the things he says are 100 percent true. This was all going on. There is all these feuds. It just doesn't matter. He talks. I cringe. I want to turn it off. Cody No Love, on the other hand, I think 80 percent of what he says is probably lies. I thought that going into the Cruz fight, I thought, oh, this this kid's going to get shut up. We're finally going to see. We're finally going to learn that what he is saying is lies. It sounds great. Everybody's buying into it. He's going to get shut up. Obviously, he didn't. We see where that went. And now we're in a spot where I don't even know what to do. It's interesting. But uh, it's just TJ Dillashaw is just not my thing. I don't know what it is. What do you think? Oh, I, I have to agree with you for sure on the TJ Dillashaw front. Because I, I think the thing that epitomized it the most was when they did the sit-down for his matchup with Dominic Cruz. And he's sitting there and he's just getting so worked up that everything Cruz is saying... Cruz is saying, oh, I beat champions. I beat the best of the best. Who have you beat? Dillashaw saying, oh, my volume is way better than your volume. It's way better. I'll blow you out of the water. And after a certain amount of bickering, he just says, I'm done. I'm done talking to you. That's it. And Cruz just says, we're sitting here doing an interview. We have to talk. Like, what? And I just kind of went, yeah, that, that sort of epitomizes Dillashaw. He sort of says stuff and doesn't really think stuff through. He's got a bit of a... He's, he's like the prime macho kind of attitude sometimes where you're just like, all right, buddy. Whereas on the other side, Cody Garbrandt is the exact same type of guy. Total macho, talks this big game. But the difference is that Garbrandt has a really solid grasp on PR the same way a guy like Conor McGregor does, where he can latch on, whether it's right or wrong, 
but he can latch on to a narrative and he pushes that narrative and he and he just doubles down on that narrative to the point where whether it's true or not it sounds true it sounds right you know he he goes out and he doubles down on Dillashaw is a backstabber he's a sellout he's a snake he sold out his friends he ran out of the gym you know he took the money and ran and he just hammers that message home over and over and over again and whether it's true or not whether it's a bit more nuanced than that it just feels like that's the truth it feels like that's the case you know so i think in this case garbrandt's key rating is up whether he's got this footage or not eventually it's just going to become this like forgotten thing and he'll always bring it up and dillashaw will just get worked up about it and and then it'll just never show up it just won't matter yeah, and the best part is uh, Dillashaw is always going to sound like a dweeb, so it doesn't really matter what he says. He just he just has to keep the narrative going long enough. Dillashaw will talk himself into looking silly, and in the end, Cody wins. <laughs> yeah, and the funny thing about this, too, is Garbrandt says that he was 1-0 at the time. And now if I'm going to speculate, when he was 1-0, this was right after uh, Dillashaw lost to John Dodson on the, on the finale of The Ultimate Fighter. And he was he didn't have his second fight until Dillashaw lost to Rafael Asuncao. So in that time, you know, that was before Dillashaw was kind of like the guy that we all see now with the, the movement and um, the really high volume and the in and out. He wasn't the fighter that we see now who seems to be like that's who he is. So maybe, maybe he knocked him out. I don't know. I, I could I could see that being a thing happening in the gym. I feel like guys get flush knocked out every once in a while, and Dillashaw wasn't exactly you know who he is today. I feel like it could happen. <laughs> yeah, you got to wonder when his argument is, "Hey, if it happened, I forgot about it." Yeah, kind of it. <laughs> but that's exactly the point. It's like, wow, really? Like, no, you have to just you just have to almost do what Garbrandt does and be like, "Effing didn't happen. No way." knocked his ass out I knocked his ass out all the time 10 times a day and just you know give it right back but don't even like he's just opening that door for doubt and that's not yeah it's it's true he can't he can't win the war of intellect and he can't win the bro arguments either he's kind of lost in no man's land there him and uh, Ludwig can just run around talking to each other as fast as they can that's about it I don't know they seem to understand each other (laughs) (laughs) that they do Hey everyone, it's Reese talking. I just want to take a moment to plug a couple of our other podcasts. First one is the Sound and Groove podcast, hosted by Evan. He breaks down the world of music, teaches you a little bit about the history of music. The guy has an encyclopedic knowledge, so I'm sure you'll learn a thing or two. The other podcast is On to Mike with Mace and Rice. That's hosted by CFL veteran Corey Mace, along with this beautiful guy right here. We talk about a few more of the gossipy stories in sports, off-the-cuff stuff, really fun, really funny. So we hope you tune in to either one of those shows. We hope you enjoy them. And now I will send you back to the show. Okay, that was Q rating. We have decided, TJ Dillashaw, your Q rating is down. It seems to be in a free fall every time you talk. So sad. So sad. All right, Mitch, looking ahead, this is going to be one of our regulars. Is there's, there's always going to be an MMA fight 
almost every weekend it seems to be. This year's an exception. It seems like there's not a lot of great cards happening. But the first true big card of the year, UFC 209 this Saturday. We got some pretty good fights here. You get the headlining fight, the rematch for the welterweight title between Tyron Woodley and Stephen Thompson. Co-headliner Tony Ferguson versus Habib Nurmagomedov. You got Rashad Evans on there versus Daniel Kelly. David Tamir versus Lando Venata. And Mark Hunt versus Alistair Overeem. And then some preliminary fights along in there. So Mitch, tell me, is there a fight on the undercard somewhere that you're really interested in? Or is this just about the main card for you? Um, there's a couple of fights on the undercard, but I think the main card for this one has really been catching my eye. I think it's mostly to do with the with the depth on it. It's one of the first ones I've looked at in a long time where I think, hey, if I was going to shell out my money, this seems like a, a pretty safe bet to get your value. So um, it's not that there's not some good fights on the undercard. I think it's just been kind of, you know, drawing my eye because it's just been so infrequent lately that, hey, we've got four or five good fights on this main card. Then that's something to say in 2017. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So what what's the on the main card? What's the fight? What are you really like looking forward to seeing? Oh, there's a few to be honest with you. There's definitely intrigue all around. Obviously the headlining fight's gonna be interesting. It was a good fight the first time. Um I'm very curious to see, you know, anytime a fight goes five rounds and it was that recently, um, to see them go again and have another five round opportunity is very intriguing. Um and obviously from there there's a few others on the card as well, but what are you looking for? What's your hot spot on the card? You know, I think this is a really interesting card in terms the matchmaking is really quite good. Uh, you know, like some people will look at Rashad Evans versus Daniel Kelly and be like, oh God, like who's that Daniel Kelly, you know? But this is like, that's a perfect fight to put on the main card and a perfect fight for a guy like Rashad Evans, who's a name who's had a lot of trouble getting these fights in recent time. He's had these strange medical issues and things like that. So he hasn't had a fight in a long time, but he's still a name. And this is a classic, like, boxing matchup. This is sort of, you put him in against a guy who's not, you know, he's not going to make a title run, Daniel Kelly, but he's going to give Rashad a nice test. And we're going to get to see just where Rashad Evans is at this point. Is he going to be able to make a bit of a run here at middleweight or is he done, you know? And if he's done, then it could be a competitive scrap. So, you know, because Daniel Kelly has always brought it, whether he's this old man with the knee braces and all this stuff, like, legitimately, but he always brings it. He always comes to fight. So I think either way, it's going to be a good fight. We're going to get to assess Rashad. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, it's going to be interesting. I, I can't think of the last time I saw Daniel Kelly fight in the u.s it might have been <laughs> i was yeah. trying to think it might have been for tough but that wasn't even that he was in canada for that one so um yeah you usually see him on those australian cards and they are they're they're often definitely candidates for fight of the night he definitely brings it he's got a little bit of that uh dad bod situation going on i think people look at him and don't think hey that's a that's a high echelon fighter but he really is um and the longer he's been around the ufc he's, he's proven that so um definitely a good matchup but like you said a perfect kind of a telltale fight for Rashad. So I'd be very curious with all the stuff that happened with his MRIs and all that craziness. Um, good to see him back and good to see where this will go for him. So definitely intrigued by that one for sure. Yeah. And I think the other, like, as I was saying with the matchups or the matchmaking on this card, you know, the David Tamir versus Lando Venata fight, that's a great matchup. You know, Venata is, 
he's kind of an unknown known product. We know that he's going to kind of bring this energy and this funky style. You know, he, he, he's on the undercard of a Tony Ferguson co-headliner and he nearly beat Tony Ferguson, um, because of his style really funky, uh, against David Tamir, who was on the ultimate fighter, who is a, an aggressive, um, striking kind of fighter. So that's a great matchup, you know, on paper, you think these two, you put them in the same room and they're just going to, something interesting is going to happen. So I think that that's another really good matchmaking thing on the card. And then obviously leading off the main card with Mark Hunt versus Alistair Overeem, which in theory on paper is also going to be a fireworks kind of fight. So I think they've done a great job matchmaking uh, the main card. I think it's going to be definitely worth a buy. Uh, That's not even mentioning, like I said, the headliner and the co-headliner. Yeah, and that's the scary part, right? Obviously, we're just grazing over some of these. Um, leave it to Reese to go for two of the lesser-known fights on the main card. Uh, we don't even touch on probably what, or you know, arguably the fight of the year, and definitely one that has the makings for fight of the year candidate with with Khabib and Tony Ferguson. Barely even scratched that. And like you said, Mark Hunt and Alistair Overseen, very very intriguing fight. Very curious to see how that goes. There's obviously a bunch of storylines coming into that one. Mark Hunt's got this lawsuit going on he's gonna fight for the first time while that's all and then going he's obviously fighting alistair who's another guy with this you know history in possibly using some supplements and that type of thing do, it's do, obviously do you been think a... alistair is gonna run though here's the thing do you think he's gonna spend the whole fight kind of running like he did uh after his title during his title shot against uh stipe uh yeah yeah he probably will i wouldn't uh, i wouldn't necessarily stand flat-footed either I think his his length and his kicks and some of that stuff is probably his advantage in this fight. So, um, but it should be interesting. I mean, at least you know to lead off a card with that fight. That's pretty spectacular. You gotta think so. Yeah, definitely. And this is the, the cool thing about that fight too is it's a bit of a throwback, you know, to these two guys who are both from the the kickboxing. Uh, they've done all the, the kickboxing circuit, so they've got a bit of a different crossover appeal. They're not these guys that that had their careers really develop and blossom in MMA in the UFC. They've kind of uh, applied their trade, knocking dudes out <laughs> in uh, in a ring. Um, Alistair Overeem, obviously one of the most devastating knee strikers in, in, in K1, and Mark Hunt is just blows people's heads off with his fists. So that's going to be a pretty sweet fight. Uh, yeah. And then... Yeah. You know, the co-headliner, Mitch, who you got, Tony Ferguson, Khabib, that's that's a big-time fight. Yeah, I'll tell you what, it'll be interesting. Both guys talk an amazing game. Both guys back it up. Um, and in this case, someone's got to lose. It's one of those where it's almost sad to see one of these guys lose. It's been a fight that's been talked about for so long. I, um, Yeah, I almost don't even want to jinx it talking about, you know, you still got five days to get there with both these guys, but... <laughs> um, I definitely, yeah, who do I got? Put me on the spot. I got to go Ferguson, I think. That's just my, I don't know. I'm not a Team Khabib guy. Never will be, so. <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you like you like all the guys that don't grapple and the whole thing. He's going to lie on him. You're one of those people, right? I, uh, it's not that I'm one of those guys. I'm just, <laughs> I like the exciting guys that win, so. Call me that if you like, I guess. But it's a loaded um, statement. I like the exciting guys <laughs> that win. Like yeah. there aren't kind of boring guys that win, Mitch. Come on, they're people too. 
They are. They're just not ones I want to pay to watch fights. So, um, I, you know, and I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but it's just, Khabib's just never been my style. I wasn't super overwhelmed in the last couple of performances. I know he gets the job done. He has skills that nobody else has. I recognize all of that, but it's just not my, you know, it will, will it shock me to see him win? No, not at all. But I would, you know, if I'm going to say I'm cheering for someone, um, I'm hoping, uh, for Ferguson. I like his attitude. I like his game. I'm excited to see what he brings. He knows exactly what uh, Khabib's going to do to him. So you'd think he'd be nice and prepared. They've been prepping for this thing for, you know, 18 months, it seems like now. So now here's the, here's the thing about this fight too, is with a lot of fights going into it, where you imagine like one of these guys, you actually have to think like, man, one of these guys is going to have to lose this fight. And it's kind of one of your, you're a little bit like the world is going to change uh, this Saturday because one of these guys is going to have to lose but one of these guys will lose w- what do you think is going to happen like if, if Khabib loses this fight where does he go from there and if Tony Ferguson loses the fight where does he go from there and vice versa whoever wins where do they go from there uh, any speculation as to what you think that that could be for the guy the winner and the loser I mean, I think at this point in this division, anybody's guess, right? We obviously touched on it earlier with what's going on with Connor and Floyd and who knows what happens there and talking, it could be my retire and <laughs> you've got uh, too much on the play on the plate right now to have any kind of prediction what's happening. I think it's, uh, it's very interesting. I think a lot depends on, you know, how does the victory come about? If it's a five round decision, are we left? Everybody's left underwhelmed and scratching their heads there's a whole other realm of possibilities at this point. It doesn't look like Conor McGregor fights anybody who doesn't make an obviously very interesting fight, make him a lot of money. So are either of these guys going to get a shot at Conor if they win? I'm not sure. It probably depends on how this fight goes down and what a bit of intrigue that adds to a fight when you know going in that these guys not only need to win, they need to win with fireworks. And even at that, who knows what that's going to mean. Um, Dana can say whatever he wants at this point. Again, we talked about that earlier. So, um, I think that's one of those things where when you do have Khabib's dad saying he's going to retire, I wonder if that's the case, if he's got that gold strap and they're fighting for big money every six months, is he retiring or is he retiring on this current landscape where you have no idea what a year and a half might bring? You might only fight once in that time. So um, definitely a lot of intrigue. I, I can't predict one way or the other. You're kind of, that's kind of your ball though. What's uh, what are you thinking? Who do you have winning and what do you think happens after? I'm going in the other direction. I think Khabib takes it. I, I just yeah. think that he's. See, and you, you, you're the other way. You love the boring. You love the, Ooh. you know. Tell, Ooh. tell them all about it, Reese. Ooh, baby, <laughs> I give me a good grappling match, Mitch. <laughs> uh. I, I just love dominance. I don't know. I, I don't get that. Maybe it's like some kind of weird ADD thing, but like when I watch a guy like Khabib just overwhelm someone and and stifle every aspect of their grappling game on the mat and the way he does it he just seems to know steps ahead of of everything you know he gets wrist control takes away their posting arm keeps them from even getting their hips out and he's just always a step ahead i love that stuff i think it's so fascinating to watch someone who's just that dominant and in control yeah if it's slow i mean sure it could be better if it was a better action you know but to me, at the end of the day, once you get to that high level, it's like it's such a it's so hard to expect guys who are fighting the one or the two best guy in the division to just come out and clean that guy's clock. Right. Like Conor McGregor's of the world. They're rare. 
he, you know, it's rare that a guy can go out and just blows them. And so, anyways, in this particular matchup, I think Khabib's just going to take it. I don't think that Ferguson's going to be able to be as scrambly as he's had, um, as he's been able to be against a lot of guys. I don't think he's going to be able to get off the mat once he, he hits it as often as he's been able to. But I've been wrong, you know? He's he's an opportunistic dude, and at the end of the day, when you're an opportunistic fighter, you're going to find those moments to, to, to grab onto something. And, you know, Ferguson's definitely got a great shot. The funny thing about this is I think that win or lose the person who's going to benefit the most regardless i think is ferguson because if i i think if he loses he's going to get a top fighter in his next fight and he's probably going to take you know he's probably going to put himself right back in title contention whereas like you said with khabib if he loses this fight i don't know what he's going to do i think he might take a title fight but i think that if he's thinking retirement down the road you know, is he gonna bother taking another fight or two to get back in title contention? Whereas with Ferguson, he's been on this long win streak and he's got this exciting style. Like you said, I feel like even with a loss, another exciting fight after this, and he's right back in it. Yeah, couldn't agree more. It's it's interesting because I think for both guys, the sky's the limit with a victory. Um, you know, you're, you're already seeing the same type of buildup they were doing with Conor McGregor and Khabib, you're seeing this Russian market talked a lot about. You're seeing the big stadium fight in Russia being discussed. You're seeing this kind of, you can see that they want, there's this push, there's this swell happening, and you can see uh, where that trajectory might take them for sure. And with Ferguson, you see a guy, you know, not kind of similar to Max Holloway in the sense that sky's the limit. He's got that attitude. He talks a good game. Um, he's all about just, knocking people out, taking names and, and getting right back into the cage. So he likes to fight often. He talks a good game. He's brash. He's got all that stuff that you could see him, you know, in a big time fight down the line. And it seems like just really depending on how this fight goes, both these guys are right at that cusp. Well, you, you, you don't dig Habib, uh, posting up on top of Michael Johnson and just screaming in his face. You know, I am the best. You know I am the best. <laughs> I am champion. I get title. That's trash well, talk right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, he's got that great wig, so what else do you need, really? <laughs> Which, of course, everyone was very confused about in his first couple fights in the UFC. I was like, what the hell is this, this guy? Apparently, it's a traditional uh, uh, Dagestani thing. Eh, who knew? All right. Now, the main <laughs> fight on this card, Tyron Woodley versus Stephen Thompson. I found that the first fight to be far more intriguing than I think people gave it credit for, even though it ended in a draw. I feel like this that was a fight where if it didn't end in a draw, people would have been like, boring, what was that? that you know, they wouldn't have cared as much about it. But because it ended in a draw, it added this sort of different uh, amount of controversy and appeal to it. But I found that first fight to be super fascinating, just the like the chess match between the two. Uh, Tyron Woodley basically backing himself up to the cage, forcing Stephen Thompson, who's a master of distance, to have to close the distance to try and get his offense off and putting himself right in Tyron Woodley's um, uh, range to land his big his big counter punches. So that was a really interesting aspect of that fight, and it turned out to be one of those, like, just... I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. I thought 
at any moment one of these guys could knock each other out. What are you thinking for this second fight? Do you think it's going to take the same course? Uh, you know what? So hard to say. Um, I don't think we've had a lot of experience where you get to see the fight run back this quickly. Like I said before, you've got a five-round fight that went to decision. Not, a, you know, very, very even. I was the same as you, sitting on the edge of the seat because you feel like, you know, it's it's going to be a blink and you missed it type of ending. Uh, and I think that was the case right through to the end of the fifth round. It was just one of those things where you felt like Wonder Boy was, you know, trying to get his timing, trying to find that space. Woodley was baiting and it just felt like something was about to happen. And then when that horn went and it hadn't happened, um, I, I kind of feel the same as you. There could have been that negative. Wow. That was boring. That was a little bit. This, it was a little bit that kind of got buried after the McGregor finish right following. Um, so it ends up being one of those things, but now it is, it's building up again. And I think it, it demands some sort of decision, right? I think everybody wants to see this unequivocally. This guy won. Let's see what it is. It's such a matchup of styles. Um, but I must say, it does really have the makings for a fight that could be quite similar. I think you might see a lot of, even more so now, you know, feeling out process for the first round, maybe even two, because you've got a, you know, what the heck is this guy planning now? I've, I feel like I've seen everything. There must be one more ace up the sleeve, so you feel like they're going to be kind of posturing and trying to get that sense. So um, it's it, it could go exactly the same, and it could end in a minute, and I don't think I'd be shocked either way. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely the thing about it is I feel like it could be, like you said, an explosive ending. At the same time, though, something like it's going to be very interesting the first couple minutes of this fight to see how each of these guys approach it. You know, is Tyron Woodley going to take the same approach? Is he just going to sort of slowly backtrack towards that cage and try and suck Stephen Thompson in? You know, because against most fighters when they came up against Steven Thompson, they just kind of tried to do their regular thing and try and find their openings. And Thompson is just, he's a master of range and distance. And if you're going to stay out in the open cage with them, you know, that's, that's his territory. Well, so kinda... well, let me ask you, let me ask you about that then. What, what about this takedown? Woodley takes him down in the first round. It's easy. He has his way. And then it's almost like he gets sucked into to Thompson's game for the rest of the fight. He wants to show that he can knock him out. He wants to show he can stand with him. So I, I had to cut you off there because you were saying, you know, Thompson's got this range of the cage and he's got all this spacing, but he didn't. Woodley mastered it. Woodley took him down. He just never went back to it. Um, so do you think we'll see more of that? Do you think that's an element that's that's in the waiting? Or does Woodley want to win this with the big hand and the big finish and kind of make his mark as champion? I, I think that, that Woodley thinks his best weapon is his right hand, but his best tool is his wrestling. So I think you'll see him use his wrestling when it suits him, but he wants to finish the fight with a knockout. You know, he wants to knock out a guy and make an emphatic statement. Uh, and I think that he's a smart fighter. He's going to... I mean, listen, at the end of the day, the, the tactic of backing yourself up to the cage is super risky, but it's a very knowledgeable one. It's, it's very astute sucking in a, a guy like Steven Thompson, forcing him to fight at your range. So I think that, that Woodley's going to take those opportunities that, that come to him. Um, but I think he also realizes that Steven Thompson's uh, takedown defense has improved greatly since he's been in the UFC. And I don't think that he's an easy guy to take down even for a Tyron Woodley. And I don't think he's going to be able to take him down every time uh, he tries to go for it. So, 
you know, if he tries to go for a couple takedowns early and, and Thompson fights them off, which he has done against a lot of a lot of good wrestlers uh, recently in his career, maybe Woodley just kind of gives up on it and then what? You know, like, th- to me, the sort of the, the story of Tyron Woodley's career, the thing that has always stood out, the fight that has always stood out to me, win, lose, whatever, or draw, I guess, in his case, too, was the Roy McDonald fight. That was where I was just like... Who is this guy? Like, what is he doing? He just, his his, his out, offensive output, everything about him just went zip, down to nil. It was like he could not think of anything. He was paralyzed by indecision against Rory McDonald. And so sometimes I feel like he's just inches away from that in every fight. I just feel like, like he could come into this fight against Stephen Thompson and go for a couple takedowns, get nothing, and then realize... You know, Thompson's not going to play the game he played last time, and he's just going to be out of options, and he's going to be like, uh, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Hmm. Could be interesting. Well, and it will be, I guess. That's the that's why we watch, right? <laughs> Certainly. Now, one of the interesting aspects to this fight, and this has nothing to do with the actual matchup in the cage, but has been a bit of the controversy about you know, uh, I guess the narrative surrounding it, good guy versus bad guy. Tyron Woodley has spoken openly about how he feels there's a sort of a race issue involved in this matchup. He's coming across as the bad guy, the guy everyone wants to see lose, whereas Stephen Thompson is coming across as this squeaky clean, everyone loves this guy, he's just great, you know, good-looking, well-spoken, and everyone wants him to win. Um do you think that that's going to play out this week as we get closer to the fight? Is it going to reveal itself in the weigh-ins and then during entrances? Do you think that Wood- Woodley's going to get booed and Thompson is going to get the, the roarous, uh, raucous cheers? Uh, I would think so, yeah. I think it's kind of been... People seem to love to hate Tyrone Woodley. I think it's... Uh, and, you know, oftentimes talking about these things and bringing them up doesn't make you the most popular person either. So I think... Uh, of late and you know whether right or wrong i'm not saying i agree with it i just think it's something that you'll see um he's been doing a lot of interviews you see him quite a bit dana white's calling him a drama queen and that narrative gets put out there and i think people especially the people that don't pay a lot of attention until a few days before a fight or are getting brought in for other reasons into a fight that's this weird narrative that they're going to have heard coming in they're not going to know the backgrounds and the fight histories and that type of stuff uh and then of course you've got stephen thompson that you know Looks squeaky clean beside anybody. Here's a guy that's, you know, pretty much the poster boy for positivity and that type of thing. It's pretty hard to find a fault with the guy. So um, I think the fans tend to resonate with him. He does sound uh, well-spoken on a microphone. He is very polite and sincere, and I think that resonates with people. He teaches children. He does all the right things um, to endear himself to the fans. So uh, ultimately, I think... Tyrone really needs a performance and a, a, you know, put a bit of a stamp on his, put his mark on the division and make sure that people are cheering him because he's the best fighter in the world and not worry about the stuff outside of the cage. Yeah. I find it fascinating what we MMA fans sort of latch onto on one hand, you know, we'll cheer for a dude who just seems so brash and just disrespectful to his opponents, a guy like Conor McGregor, or we'll cheer for a dude who just seems like, you know, your your machismo is oozing out of him like a Cody Garbrandt just cursing every second or third word. And then we'll love Stephen Thompson, who says, gosh, 
gosh darn it and daggummit and <laughs> stuff like that. It's like one and the other. They all exist in the same thing. We like them all. It's so strange what we, we latch on to and who we sort of uh, like. Yeah, it's, it's the fascinating part about this sport, to be honest. It's the different characters and the different personalities, and it really is. It's it's one of the only sports where you need to sell yourself. Um, so it's interesting. You get to these personalities and these undertones of a person become paramount in this sport, and it becomes something that we do focus on because that's really all there is. There's the lead-up to the fight, and then there's the fight. And in so many cases, the fights can be you know, a minute long and we might've been building up to a fight for six months. So you're going to focus on the stuff that happens outside of the cage, probably more than you do the stuff that happens inside. And that's just, uh, you know, I think as much as just sheer volume, really, you just have more time to think about those things. Uh, and let's be honest, the average, you know, average fan or the average person like us discussing this stuff does maybe even comprehend a lot of the fight intricacies. So you get attached to these narratives and these storylines outside of the fights as much as you do do the actual performances so um true. yeah it'll definitely be interesting let me ask you this where do you think each one of these guys goes afterwards where do they you know where does this take either man who wins this fight because it's an interesting division and an interesting time when you look at the rankings and in welterweight right now where do you think that goes if someone does win convincingly <laughs> the winner gets gsp the loser gets gsp short answer i don't know i don't know where <laughs> wow. they. i mean that that division is is kind of interesting at the moment, a little bit in flux in a lot of ways. I think now with the addition of GSP and and um, you know Cerrone just lost, so you know where is Lawler right now? Uh, I think that he's this tying is... up his gloves. I saw him today. He's tying oh, up his right? gloves. <laughs> he's was... posting footage today. He was hitting a bag. Ooh, baby, Lawler's oh. coming back. <laughs> maybe that. <laughs> I maybe... tricked you. That's that's one of the reasons I asked this question. What's coming up in this division? Because you've got GSP. You've got Lawler. I think it's interesting timing. You start to see, you know, GSP takes a bunch of that news, and then all of a sudden these guys are coming out of the woodwork going, hold on, don't forget about me. Robbie Lawler's showing his face. And what about Carlos Condit? Where's guys like that? It's it's interesting time in the division. Yeah. Damian Maya. <laughs> yeah. I, and Maya just got booked against uh, Jorge Masvidal, as far as reports all seem to be indicating. So that is hmm. a very great division right now. I really like welterweight. It'll be fun times going ahead, but. Um, that is it. Thank you very much, Mitch, for joining me for the very first episode of The Hurt Take. And thank you to you, the listeners, uh, everyone who's tuned in for the first episode. We hope to bring you an episode uh, each and every week if we can. We're busy guys, but we'll try to make time for you. We want to bring you the good news in the world of MMA. So thank you very much for listening to The Hurt Take. I am Reese. He is Mitch. Mitch, do you want to say goodbye to the people? Have a good week, guys. Enjoy the fights. All right, that is the hurt take. We are out.